Hey, hey, it's Jeff Jarvis here at the CUNY Graduate School of Journalism for .NYC. We've been gone for a little while as we we're uh, trying to uh, stretch out. This is kind of the end of our pilot season for the show, and we hope to find funding to keep going. That's a hint. If you know anyone, if you want to join in a Kickstarter campaign, if you have any idea about how we continue this, because what we're trying to do in this show and the show that follows is to highlight the tech scene of New York and to talk to the, the, the founders and the funders and the technologists who are doing amazing things in this city. It beats the hell out of Silicon Valley. They're all a bunch of egotists and boring and all that. We are the center of technology and we want to emphasize that. So that's why we're doing this show. So here we have an episode of .NYC. I'm delighted to welcome Mikhail Rosen, Thank who you. is the general counsel from uh, Kickstarter. So we met at a conference in Frankfurt? Yeah, it? Frankfurt yeah. in October. Yes, I think it was the uh, the book fair. It was. Oddly enough, so uh, we have nothing to do with books, but we happened to be there for, for, for a conference. And I got fascinated with, uh, I've long been a fan of Kickstarter, I'm, I'm, and I want to talk to you about that in general, but you were a pioneer in making a company a B Corp. And so I wanted to explore that. I think it's really interesting, and especially... Yeah. In, it's a little dangerous mm -hmm. because in journalism, journalists think, oh, profit is bad and it, 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 it gets you schmutzy and, and you don't want to be around it. Um, and, and so I don't want journalists to think that they can all give up the need to run a good business by becoming a B Corp. So first, would, would you explain what a B Corp is? Yeah. Um, first, thanks for having me on here. Oh, thank you. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, so, so we are actually both a B Corp and a public benefit corporation, and they're two separate things that yep. often get confused. Um, a public benefit corporation is sometimes called a benefit corporation as well. Um, a B Corp is a certification by a third party. It's like a lead certification for buildings mm -hmm. um, that certifies that you're running uh, a business in a responsible and sustainable way. Um, the benefit corporation or public benefit corporation in some states is an actual corporate form. So. You know, most companies, their LLCs or their normal C-Corps. Um, and uh, the benefit corporation form is something that started coming around about a decade ago that um, kind of sought to balance out the, um, the traditional duties of a corporation, which is to, they're usually to maximize shareholder profit. Mm -hmm. um, and what the benefit corporation form tries to do is balance that with a duty to the general social good as well. So it's this really interesting combination. Um, benefit corporations are are public. Uh, are, excuse me, are for-profit companies. They can be privately held. They can be public. Um, but they have committed themselves to something more than just uh, maximizing shareholder profit. Um, so, you know, you're talking about uh, not wanting to discourage journalists from uh, the imperative of kind of making money, and, and benefit corporations kind of look for that same kind of balance. Mm -hmm. um, they say you can be a profitable company, you can be um, a business that's looking to not just sort of survive, but thrive, um, and also operate responsibly. Operate in a way that you're not just making uh, the decisions solely based on the bottom line and solely based on making as much money as possible for your shareholders um, or for yourself. So start with the motivation. Uh, mm -hmm. The founders of Kickstarter uh, have been really admirably um, stolid in their determination not to be corrupted not to lose their mission, mm -hmm. uh, to make sure that they know what they're doing. So, so is that, what, what motivated them to, to look at this first? 
Um, I think I think what you said is exactly right. So that so our our company was founded in two thousand nine by um, Perry Chen, Yancy Strickler, and Charles Adler, um, and it was really started as a very mission based company, very mission driven. And our mission is to bring creative projects to life, mm-hmm. to um, kind of support and foster creativity in the world. And um, they were were and have been steadfast to that mission. Um, uh, since 2009, since we founded, and we've always um, operated in a way where we're not prioritizing profits over that commitment um, to the arts, um, to particularly non-commercial arts, right? The, the purpose of Kickstarter was um, really to support the um, the artists and the creators out there who may not have as much access to traditional funding, um, who may not want to be beholden to the the organizations or the people who generally give funding for right. for equity, the for of example. The yes. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so um, that's that's been the way that we operated from the start. And when um, when Delaware adopted the benefit corporation form, and in Delaware it's called Public Benefit Corporation, which mm-hmm. is why we are Kickstarter PBC. Um, uh, we're so we're incorporated in Delaware. Um, it it was really clear to us that it was a natural progression of um, sort of uh, solidifying in our actual corporate charter the way that we've been do- doing business from the beginning. So it doesn't guarantee you, you profit any less. No. It just says that, that that you make it part of your charter and you have something to kind of hide behind if there's a choice to make yeah. between uh, pure profitability, pure representation of the shareholders and uh, the mission. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Uh, I look at something like, let's say, uh, my friend Craig Newmark at Craigslist. Mm-hmm. I don't think Craig is, I don't think it's a public benefit corporation, but he's exactly. always kind of run it that way. Absolutely. Right? Where he's had a mission and he's had a goal yeah. and he's done that. And and Craig owns most of the company, but not all of it. And so it's, I think it's probably possible. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can always imagine the discussion with shareholders, no matter how many you have, could be difficult. Uh, what was the conversation with the owners mm-hmm. of Kickstarter? It, uh, we were lucky to have, uh, we are lucky to have a really supportive base of shareholders. Um, we didn't have any dissenting votes um, from our reincorporation into a public benefit corporation. Um, and I think the reason behind that is because when um, when our founders were out raising money, uh, when they came up with the idea for Kickstarter, they were really clear about the business model that they wanted from the start. Uh, they were not giving the impression to anyone, any potential investors, that this was um, going to be the next uh, unicorn and we're going right. to sort of ramp up over the course of a couple of years and then do a giant showy exit, right? That um, was made really clear to investors from the get-go. So. Um, I think because of that, we have a shareholder base who understands that we're in this for the long term, um, that we uh, are seeking to be a profitable and sustainable company and uh, and are looking to um, return profit to shareholders, mm-hmm. but perhaps on a longer term than what might be expected from some tech companies. So have there been any decisions since you, you, so you did this when? Um, in September of 2015. So uh, a little over a year. Mm-hmm. Have there been any decisions that your status enabled in that time? So I, I think that, um, you know, like I said, this is the way we'd been operating. We have mm-hmm. a shareholder base that's very supportive of, of the way that we operate. Um, so I'm not sure that we have uh, 
you know, gotten the leeway to do something that we wouldn't otherwise have done. But what it has done, and, and I see this in everyday interactions with everyone from the executive team to um, employees, that that the, the consideration of us being a PBC it, it enters into every decision. Um, small decisions. It's completely ingrained in the culture. Um, it's something that we we talk about and we say. Remember, we made some commitments as a PBC because we actually, in our charter, outlined um, five major uh, commitments and that we're Such evaluating. As? So our first. Let me let me try to remember. Sorry, that. I didn't. No, um, no, not at all. <laughs> so the first is um, just a statement of our mission to bring creative projects to life and the ways that we're going to do that mm -hmm. on our platform by. You know, um, protecting the integrity um, of our systems and of our sort of general ecosystem um, by providing tools to support creative projects. Um, the second is uh, to operate in a way that reflects our values. So those are sort of operational commitments, everything from environmental commitments to mm -hmm. um, being committing to be transparent about our taxes and to not seek loopholes um, to not pay uh -huh. our our fair mm -hmm. share of corporate taxes. Um, to uh, being transparent in our privacy policy and our terms of use, right. and so operational things. Uh, we also committed to um, annually donating 5% donating of our after-tax profits uh, to two causes, one for arts and music education underserved communities in New York City, um, and the other towards organizations uh, fighting, seeking to um, fight inequality and um, provide opportunities for underrepresented groups. Mm -hmm. um, and we're actually in the process of, of picking those groups right now. Our employees actually do that. Oh, that's cool. Um, and then it is a commitment to um, less commercial areas of the arts, making sure that mm -hmm. we're um, always committed to supporting arts that aren't, even if they aren't the most profitable on our platform. Um, and then the final commitment is around inequality, like uh, devoting ourselves to mm -hmm. fighting inequality in the world. So there's the donation as well as internal policies around um, diversity, around uh, volunteerism, et cetera. And so the only thing that, or, there's very little in there that necessarily impinges upon uh, profit maximization. I mean, the tax minimiz not going for tax minimization, not going for the double dutch sandwich. Yeah, I uh, think that, that and specifically committing to um, supporting the less commercial Perhaps right, less exactly. profitable yes, yes. categories on our on Not our site, that. yeah. So in a way, all of this is a substantiation of Google's "Don't Be Evil." Yeah. Right. The argument that the founders of Google made was that that was a business decision. That if there mm -hmm. were evil, bad things would occur to the business, and they wanted to give license to the employees to remind them not to be evil. Mm -hmm. um, so that's what's neat about this is that this codifies that in very specific and more transparent ways. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I. I, I can't speak to the transparency of Google's commitments, right, right. but um, definitely what we were trying to do is to take the, the sort of mission that, that drives everything that we do and um, codify them so that they are going to be there in our corporate charter, no matter who's running the company, and right. also committing to reporting on them. Mm -hmm. So we're putting out our first uh, annual ah, report okay. at the end of February. With with a report card on your how well you held up exactly. your mission. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. The, the Guardian does that very well. Oh yeah, yeah, nice. yeah. I would, I would recommend their their report. Right. Uh, all right. So so now switch and and so you you were a real pioneer in creating this structure and converting the company to public benefit corporation, right? How we, many how yeah. many analogs were there before you to learn from? You know there were um, 
I can't remember the number. In Delaware, there were probably around 100, but the majority of them were actually quite small companies. Mm-hmm. Um, one company that, that I think actually was a real pioneer in this is Patagonia. Um, yep. They're based in uh, California, so they did it under the California statute, and they were um, a fantastic model for us to learn from um, and to get kind of advice from. I think they, they're they generally, in terms of a responsible and really admirable company, um, uh, kind of a paragon of that. Have companies come to you since asking for Absolutely. your guidance? Absolutely, yeah. What, any surprises in the kinds of companies or the motives? or? I think what's been surprising is the, the breadth of companies, really? the kinds of companies, ones that you wouldn't necessarily think are um, already sort of identified with a, a sort of sustainable, friendly kind of... Um, uh, you know, image. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's really kind of wide ranging how many companies want to do this. And, and you see that it's, it's, I think you're seeing a sea change in business generally in mm-hmm. um, companies recognizing the importance of and wanting to commit to social responsibility um, and to operating in, in a, a fair and transparent way. And the long-term economic benefit of that in the sense that, that you have true capital, true social capital, that you've built a value in a community. And yeah, with, with I, I, I think consumers in the market are going to start demanding this. Right, yeah. right. Um, all right, so now let me get some free legal advice for uh, <laughs> our poor, struggling industry news, since we're yes. here in a journalism school. Um, so as, as I mentioned at the top, I, I, I teach entrepreneurial journalism here mm-hmm. uh, with my colleague Jeremy Kaplan, and students come in. My, my joke is they come in communists and I turn them into capitalists <laughs> uh, by the end. Uh, but their reflex of many, many a journalist is to try to not worry about business and not mm-hmm. worry about profit. Um, so I've got two questions. The first is uh, if, if our students in entrepreneurial journalism come and say, well, I, I'll be a CPB. I won't have to worry about all this stuff. I won't mm-hmm. be a greedy bastard. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, what do I say to them about about the reality they still have as a business? I think what I would say to them is that um, you should always look at profit as a tool to achieve your mission and to achieve your goals. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if you're looking at profit as the end goal, that's where you've gone wrong, and I think that's probably what they're reacting to. Um, and so uh, what I would say is um, to focus on um, what they're trying to achieve with journalism and recognizing the ways that they are going to be able to get that journalism out there and to um, accomplish the reporting that they they need to do. Well, I doubly like that, Mikhail, because I think what we also see is journalists who um, uh, have an adver- uh, uh, feel adverse to profit. Mm-hmm. You look at the New York Times had an, an op-ed this week trying to suggest that CNN should be hived off in in the coming mer- uh, merger, presuming it gets approved. But given the present administration, I'm sure it will get approved, uh, and and that it'd be so much better off, the world would be better off if CNN were not trying to make money all the time. Mm-hmm. That's a journalist saying profit is the evil. No, profit is the the the, the fuel mm-hmm. that enables them to do what they do. So I, I, I like that. I like that you've you've basically took a, taken the the cooties off of profit, yeah, right, which is okay. It's okay to be profitable because yeah. you're also balancing it with the other mission. Yeah, I think if um, I think you have to distinguish between a reaction to uh, profit seeking that seek that seems to impinge on the actual mission of of providing news um, right. in a rigorous way and uh, call that out where you see it, but also sort of laud 
um, efforts to see profit in service of journalism. All right, so now here's my second question, which is a, which is a tougher one. Um, as, as we look at, at, at our industry and news, we're trying to, I'll try not to go into a soliloquy here, but we're trying to take the old mass media business model and shove it into the, into the round hole, uh, the square peg of the web and mobile. Um, and what doesn't work about that is that we used to have a scarcity we controlled. We could set the prices. Life was wonderful. Uh, now in an abundance-based world, uh, what happens to prices? They go down. Mm -hmm. So what do you do? You make it up on volume, as we say here in the Shimada District. Mm -hmm. And uh, how do you get that volume? Cats, Kardashians, crap, right? So a lot of the problem is that our, our, our business model uh, determines the quality of what we do. And we're trapped in a horrible cycle there. Mm -hmm. So as much as I might make fun of this idea of journalists trying to, trying to um, shove profit aside, being able to state uh, the ethics and, and mission and morals of revenue models in journalism, we still need revenue, we still need to make profit, we still mm -hmm. need to be sustainable. But to change those models in such a way that we could um, rethink fundamentally how we sustain what we do and how we make money. Mm -hmm. So, but we don't know what it is yet. Yeah, That's the hard part, right? You knew what your mission was. You were already a company, you were already doing these things. Uh, you knew what you wanted to codify. Mm -hmm. So my question, I guess it's a very vague question, I apologize, but, but, but I'm trying to explore how we could use a public benefit corporation to rethink fundamentally um, our limits of how we do what we do Without hamstring, without without yeah. without you know handcuffing us uh, from being sustainable. I, I guess as I even ask the question, I think we probably have to figure get our act together first before we codify what we do. But is there an opportunity to create cover for a media company to say, "I'm going to get off the reach um, merry-go-round. I'm going to get off that idea of just having to get do anything I can do to get more traffic, to get more volume, so that I can get revenue. I'm going to create a new and more responsible way. I think so, but with a caveat there. Okay. Um, being a public benefit corporation or a benefit corporation is not going to free you from uh, the need to make enough money where you, to sustain yourself, your yeah. business, right? Amen. Um, what it will give you freedom around is if your shareholders um, are demanding that you do that in order to maximize the profit, right? right? So um, I, I would say that to the extent the companies or um, media outlets are, are publishing the kind of clickbait um, just to get by, yep. uh, which I think is the case it a is. lot of the time. It absolutely is. I think the, the majority of the work is going to have to be in establishing the mission and in exploring um, kind of financially sustainable ways to pursue that. Um, I think you, I, I think it is obviously a, a challenge that a lot of a lot of outlets are are facing and struggling with right now. Um, I can't say that I have the answer. <laughs> no, and and. Um... I don't either, yeah. uh, but we try to explore that here all yeah, the time. We run absolutely. a center of Rockford Journalism. and we look for new business models. Uh, when I deal with, with newspapers mm -hmm. who were very mission-driven, often uh, owned by a family and they cared about the community and, and they didn't have the codification you have, but they had it in their, in their literally in their DNA. Yeah. Um, now they're trapped. Mm -hmm. They don't know what to do. They can't get off. 
uh, because all they're doing uh, is is pursuing reach for reach's sake, uh, volume of audience, um, and we know the cheap tricks that they do to get there. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know that you could take probably a newspaper which has this entire structure built around a mass media business model and suddenly transform it. Uh, but I, uh, So I guess it might be easier if it were a news startup. Does that make sense? I mean, from what it, it does make sense, and I'm no expert on this, but um, you know, you do see the I see the the startup model succeeding pretty well. You see the Voxes of the world, yes. sort of, um, and I think even the Atlantic has has done a, a pretty fantastic job of taking a traditionally print publication mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, really exploring the reach of of the digital realm. Um, and so I, I do think that at the very least, what you're going to need is to have that startup entrepreneurial um, mindset in exploring these issues. Right. And not saying that the New York Times um, or more established um, organizations can't do that. But Could a, a, an established media organization that has a legacy and has a corporate structure mm-hmm. already, could it start a, 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 a new venture? Yeah. As a public benefit corporation. Absolutely. They could start a subsidiary and have mm-hmm. a public benefit corporation. Subsidiary. That's really interesting. Because yeah. then they could experiment there. Mm-hmm. And the shareholders yeah. are well warned mm-hmm. that there's a long-term view. Yeah. And um, that seems to make more sense, I guess. Yeah. And, and actually, that's a model that I think a lot of industries are exploring. Mm. I've, I've heard of um, you know even pharmaceutical companies exploring starting a public benefit corporation subsidiary to allow them, to give them the freedom to explore, explore the sort of more experimental treatments and drugs that um, they perhaps don't have the freedom to do based on their shareholder base as a um, the parent organization. So this is basically a year past in your life at, yeah. at Kickstarter. Yeah. Uh, from your perspective, from a legal perspective, because I, I I love Kickstarter. I've I've contributed to lots of things there. I've gotten gadgets there. I've um, uh, supported things. Um, and by God, maybe we can support this show there. Who knows? Uh, but um, you must have a lot of fascinating legal issues around intellectual property and copyright and, and and things like that. Talk just about how that idea of a company that just supports creative endeavors without owning those creative endeavors and 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 what your relationship is with them as a result yeah so we um we're basically in the position of a lot of companies on the internet nowadays where Mm -hmm. we host um content that uh third parties uh post so creators post their content onto the site um and there there are some legal regimes that govern how we handle that and um, in the copyright realm, for example, there's something called the DMCA, um, the Digital Millennium Copyright Act. And right. what it does is it lays out a process for us to, um, if we follow it, if there's a, uh, a claim of copyright infringement about a project on Kickstarter, uh, we follow this process and um, then we're sort of safe from, yes. from litigation safe around it. Exactly. So, um, you know, this is this is the model that everyone follows, that YouTube follows, mm-hmm. right, that um, we, we follow the the um, the slight difference in how how we handle that is um, and, and we can do this because we have a relatively low volume of complaints as compared to yes. Google or YouTube right right so we, we aren't handling thousands of complaints per day um, so we actually take a look at the complaints um, we we know that that um, there's a, there's something called DMCA abuse where people try to get content taken down by claiming, um, ownership of it, exactly. and the platform will just take it down. 
Um, and it's uh, often the, the the creator in our case is is a little confused about the process, doesn't really understand mm -hmm. the counter notification mm -hmm. uh, procedure and all of that. And it's uh, that's not a situation we want to put a creator in if, for example, it's uh, very clearly fair use in our mind or if it's uh, very clearly an illegitimate claim to copyright by the, by the person who submits the complaint. So we will actually um, do that kind of initial evaluation. And if it's clearly um, an illegitimate claim, we won't will reject it. Right. Um, so, you know, we we very strongly believe in freedom of expression and, mm -hmm. um, you know, in, in the creative process, which is, uh, which can be derivative. Yes. And I think fair use law um, acknowledges that, right? And so uh, we don't want to penalize creators um, uh, by, because we get um, a complaint by an overzealous copyright holder. Uh, last question for me is, is given the current political climate and the appointment of the FCC, um, uh, Roger Pai, uh, people are worried about net neutrality. Yeah. Uh, how does that affect Kickstarter? How does that affect your company? Yeah, so so we were very active in the fight um, mm -hmm. to get net neutrality in place a couple of years ago together with a coalition of other New York City companies. And thank you for that. Um, of course. Uh, and. We're obviously really concerned, and there's a lot of conversations going around about what the future of net neutrality is. Um, uh, now, Commissioner Pai was uh, uh, the sole commissioner who voted against uh, the, the net neutrality rule a couple of years ago. Um, he voted against it pretty vociferously. Um, and so there, there's obviously a, a, a huge concern that, this, that the protections that we got in place to secure an open internet, um, one that's accessible to everyone, um, are going to be overturned. Um, you know, how it affects us as a company, uh, we, we got to be who we are because there was a sort of de facto net neutrality open internet when we launched. Um, we don't want uh, to be in a position where if we have a much wealthier competitor, they can pay for much faster load times and then you know, the, uh, affect the user experience, right? If someone comes to a project on Kickstarter and it takes a long time to load the page and the video won't load because we can't afford to pay for the faster access and whereas- Or certainly the artists goes, who support as well when they're on their own. Exactly. They're affected, yes. Exactly. And so, um, yeah, from our perspective, it's, you know, so, like like some other companies, we're not really so much speaking on our behalf as as a platform, so yes. much as the users whom we represent. Um, and has there been any discussion yeah. from that old um, coalition? There has been. It's Good. very active. Good. Glad Daily. Glad to hear it. Glad yeah. to hear it. Um, and you're a New York company. Yes, we are. Proudly so. Very much. Uh, how does working in New York? For you, I mean, if, if if you could ask for anything from the powers that be to make the life of a technology company and platform in New York better, what would it be? I'd uh, I'd ask for better trains to Greenpoint, um, <laughs> where our office is located. Um, no, I mean, I think we we deal with the same issues that a lot of companies and specifically tech companies deal with in terms of um, affordable housing for people. Yep. Um, it's very difficult to, for. Um, People to live in New York, right? Mm -hmm. We all we all know it. Oh, yeah. um, and um, so to uh, to help with affordable housing in the city, to I think our our perspective is less as a tech company and more as sort of a company supporting the arts. And so what what I think we would ask for is 
um, for New York to continue as I think it has a, a long and really proud tradition of doing, of supporting um, local arts here and supporting particularly the less commercial areas. Mikhail yeah. yeah. Rosen, General Counsel from Kickstarter, thank you, thank so, you so much. much. I really appreciate it. So stay tuned if you're tuning in or whatever we call it now, because we'll have a next episode of Dot NYC coming up next with three Kickstarter uh, efforts that came out were supported by Kickstarter and uh, just kind of a showcase of three of the really neat things here in New York uh, happening in technology because Kickstarter exists. So bye for now.